if you have your Bible, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. I bet you thought I was going to say Hebrews, didn't you? <laughs> I'm always throwing little tricks in there every now and then. <laughs> but no, something just this week uh, caused me to think about a particular subject what, that we're talking about today, which I've entitled, Our Heart's Journey to Christ. And so we're going to divert from Hebrews just a little bit, and maybe we'll pick up next week. I'm not sure, but uh, we're so close to the end, right, in Hebrews, so we've got to finish it up pretty soon. But I really got pretty excited about the scripture that we're going to be talking about today. And by the way, it's not just this scripture. There's going to be many, many other scriptures, so you won't be able to follow me along, so don't even try. But I do have a list of all my scriptures, and... Uh, Usually on the website where I post the video, there's also a place where you can download like sermon notes and things like that, and all, all of the scriptures will be there this week as soon as I get that up. So, But anyway, the Lord looks at the heart, doesn't he? We find this out in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when Samuel is looking for who would be the next king of Israel, and the Lord tells Samuel that don't look at the outward stature. Don't look at how tall this person is going to be. Don't look at whether they're handsome or not. What I look at is the heart. And so we're going to be looking at that today, our heart's journey toward Christ. And we're going to start out with this scripture that we have here today, Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. So let's go ahead and stand uh, as we read the scripture today in honor of God's word. It's a very familiar one to you, I'm sure. But the scripture today says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today just with thankful hearts that we have your word that helps us to understand our hearts. And we pray that you would help us to do that today, to understand our hearts. And we're obviously not talking about the heart that is beating within us, but we're talking about that conscience that we have, that part of us that governs everything that we do. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand its frailties but then we also need to understand how you give us new hearts when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then besides understanding, we need also wisdom. What difference will this make in our life? How do we apply these things to our life? And we also need a change of behavior. If our heart is truly changed, then we know that our actions will actually change as well. And so help us to understand as we go through these many scriptures and put them all together and help me to do that faithfully according to God's word um, and help us to listen and understand from you today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I said, as I said, the title of this is Our Heart's Journey to Christ. And I alluded to the, in my prayer time that the heart that we're talking about is obviously not the one beating inside of our chest. But it's the way that the heart refers to the Bible. Really, the, the heart, uh, if you translated the word literally, almost means kidneys or, or the gut. 
So sometimes we talk about making a gut decision, and I think that's kind of what the Bible is getting to. Uh, a biblical definition is for the heart is the locus of a person's thoughts or mind, their volition, emotion, and knowledge of right from wrong, conscience, understood as the heart. Now, sometimes definitions are harder to understand than just saying it in plain English. But the way I like to look at it and the way I've learned from the Bible is that our heart really is made up of three components. The first component is our mind or our consciousness, our thoughts, our beliefs. Uh, we want that to grow in understanding, right? We, we go to school for the purpose of enlightening our minds and we go to Bible studies to enlighten our minds, but that's just one part of the heart. The other part would be our affections, affections with an A, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-N, affections. And that's just a word that means our desires, sometimes our emotions and our motives as well. And then the third part would be what is called our volition or our will. In other words, how do we make choices? And if you put all three of those together, it forms what the Bible calls our heart. Some person said that the heart is the fountain of all behavior. And it really truly is. If you think about decisions that you make, they come from your heart because you understand something a certain way, because you have certain motives and you have certain decisions that you want to make. The heart is also the temple of worship, amen? It's a temple of worship. It's where the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within us when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. The heart also is where belief and or unbelief take place. That comes from within the heart. Now the first step in recognizing just how our heart is if we're an unsaved person is that, and this gets kind of ugly, <laughs> our heart as an unsaved person is deceitful and depraved, amen? It is deceitful and depraved and this is where Scripture really comes to our aid and helps us. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? And that may seem to us to be kind of harsh because primarily we look from our point of view, right? We look at our point of view, how maybe we treat other people. But the whole picture really changes and becomes more bleak when we look from God's point of view. Listen to what the Lord had to say in Genesis 6, 5. He says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. That's kind of a God view of our sin and rebellion against him. He also says in Ecclesiastes, he says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of my children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. You see, God's view is often very much different than our view. I heard an illustration which I thought was really, really good. I can't, I think it was maybe at the annual convention or annual association meeting. Maybe Mike Munden used this. Maybe it was somewhere else, I'm not sure. 
My memory's not what it used to be, but in this illustration, it says, uh, no, it was in our Bible study Wednesday night, I think. In our Bible study Wednesday night, uh, Matt Chandler said that if I were to lie, say to one of you, then the consequences of that sin are not really that great. Uh, you may be mad at me, you may be upset with me, but it really doesn't necessarily go any further than that. If I lie to my wife, Darla, then there's gonna be greater ramifications, right? We're gonna have an argument and that's gonna really affect my life. If I lie against, say, the police, I could be in real serious trouble, right? If I lie even higher to a judge, then I could probably maybe even go to jail for that because the bar has been raised as far as seriousness. If I were to go to the, before the president or don't go before a Senate commission and lie, I could actually go to jail or be you know, accused of treason or something like that, maybe even be put to death. And his point was, if those are serious because they keep raising the bar, then how much more serious is our sin and our lying against the holy God? So, and that's why God takes this so seriously. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he really gave it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he called them evil and they were evil because what they spoke was not true. But maybe one of the most telling places that talks about our heart and the evilness of our heart is Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 18. You have to kind of understand where Paul's going in Romans. In chapter one, he's talking to all the Gentiles, everyone except for the Jews. And he's saying, you are without excuse. You are accountable to God. You have sinned and judgment is coming. In chapter two of Romans, he's speaking to the Jews. He's saying to the Jews, you have been blessed. You've at least have the law and, let you, and, let, and yet you have not even lived up the law. You better beware because judgment is going to come. And then in chapter three, he globs everyone together and he says this. He says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, that's serious stuff, right? I mean, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord says about our heart before we come to know Christ. And it shows to me that the heart of fallen man is beyond remedy. The heart of man does not need a Band-Aid. It doesn't even need bypass surgery. It needs a transplant, right? It needs that heart to be taken out and a new heart to be given, one that is in tune with the Spirit of God. Amen. And so the deceitful, wicked heart must die. We must die to our old way of life. John 
wrote this down in these words of Jesus about this death that is supposed to happen. And this is Jesus speaking in the book of John. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's speaking of us, folks. <laughs> we are the seed. And unless we die and fall to the ground and die, we will not bear fruit. It says it remains alone. How sad of a condition is that for a seed to be laying on the ground and not bearing fruit? You see, a seed has to go through a dying process. Not back in my college days, I actually had a degree in agriculture and I remember a little bit about that, but I remember a seed that you plant into the ground has an outer shell that's relatively hard, but once it goes down into that ground and once it has some moisture, then that outer shell begins to really decompose and opens up what is inside, which is the germination, the part that will actually germinate. That seed literally has to die in order for it to grow and that's exactly what we need to do. This wicked heart of ours must die. Even Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul knew that just as Christ had been crucified, his former life had to be crucified as well in order for him to live for Christ. There had to be this heart change. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The old heart must die. It must die. Our old self must die. Our fallen nature, that which we inherited from Adam and Eve, has left us with a heart bent towards sin and a rebellion against God. That's the way our heart is before we come to Christ. It is not mostly good. People will tell you that people are basically good. That is not true according to Bible. According to the Bible, unsaved people have a bent toward sin and they will always rebel against God. Even when they're doing things that look good on the outside. They do it with impure motives. They do it from a lack of faith rather than because of faith. And we must have and continue to die to our old way of selfish living. Even us as Christians, right? Yes. We, ha we still have a remnant of that old life that we continually must be putting to death. I believe there are professing Christians who are all alone, just like that fallen seed. And they have borne no fruit because they have never died to self. They have a, they've made a profession of Christ, but there's never been the heart change that bears fruit so that they are not by themselves, but they have actually borne fruit. Rather than Jesus being on the throne of their heart, their deceitful and wicked hearts are still on the throne of their lives. We need a new heart. This is the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was foretold that we would have a new heart. We must have a new heart. We must be born 
from above. We must be born again. These are all terms for a new heart. We must be spiritually resurrected from the dead. Ezekiel 36, 26. We've talked about these verses several times. This is the promise of God to Israel that was to be fulfilled in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. He says, and he says this like 600 years before Christ ever comes to the earth, right? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's, that's how he describes our deceitful heart as a heart of stone, unfeeling, uncaring. But he gives us a heart of flesh, one that can care, one that can love, one, one that can follow after God. It's re, this is almost repeated in, Jer, in Jeremiah 31. He says there, he says, for this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Our God graciously provides us with a new heart new life and we respond by believing Jesus invites us to come and follow him Jesus said to all if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus never minces words, does he? He never minces, minces word. He says, you can follow me, but if you follow me, you have to deny, up your, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. A cross is an instrument of torture, right? And he's saying every day you must crucify yourself and then you can follow me. And so he makes that call today. He makes that call here today. Come and follow me. Will you come and follow me? But that's not quite the end of the story. Jesus also tests and purifies our hearts, amen? amen? He tests and purifies our hearts. You might ask how, this is how he does it in my life. I think he does it in all of our lives if we are paying attention to what he's saying. He's continually asking the question, what is your greatest treasure? He does that as we go through the word, right? Yeah. As we go through the word, we read it, we see examples of people who had great wealth, asked Jesus, what must I do to follow you? And he says, go and sell all that you have and then come and follow me. And the price was too great because that rich young ruler had a greater treasure than Jesus. Make no mistake, our treasure is Jesus, right? Amen. Sometimes in the scripture, in, in fact, the scripture that we read earlier to begin this, it talks about our treasure being in heaven well, Jesus is the king of heaven, so there's no greater treasure than Jesus. But he continually will ask us this, this question, what is your treasure? Is it your money? Is it your time? I have trouble with that one. Is it, are, is it your talents? 
Our love for Jesus must be above everything else. And we must crucify the flesh. Paul says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, all of these things that compete for time with Jesus, they have to be crucified. 1 John 2.5 says, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. We are going through this process of our hearts being refined where God is taking away all of this uh, impurities in our life and giving us more of himself, more of himself. And so we go back to our original scripture, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So today we've learned a few things. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked and our hearts, our wicked hearts must die. Self-centeredness must go. God gives us, graciously gives us what we most need, a new heart bent toward Christ. God tests our hearts so that we might know that we are his. And Jesus' invitation by grace still remains, come and follow me. Will you come and follow him today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the time that we've had together. We thank you for your scripture and the clearness of what we must do. We must die, not as a means of obtaining our salvation, but as a validation that you are at work in our life. And so we pray that you would convict us if necessary that you would show us more clearly the way that we are to follow. Help us to follow Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our love for God uh, be perfected. Father, I know in a room this big, there may be people who have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we appeal to them to come and follow Christ, to give their life for the sake of following Christ and the privilege of knowing him and the fact of having him as our greatest treasure. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. amen.